Welcome to another episode of the Reliability Matters podcast. I'm your host, Mike Conrad. For those of you who are counting, and I know many of you are, this is episode number 137. Today, we'll unravel the threads of reliability, starting from the core, our attitudes. Reliability isn't just about systems and processes. It's about the individuals who drive them. If you're unhappy or unfulfilled at work, chances are reliability will be negatively affected, along with most other job-related activities. We've all had that negative experience at a fast food restaurant staffed by employees who are neither happy nor fulfilled at their jobs. Orders are routinely made incorrectly and the customer experience is often poor. Compare that experience with fast food restaurants such as In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A. More commonly, the food is prepared properly and the customer experience is often delightful. At the end of the day, they're all selling either burgers or chicken like so many of their competitors, but the experience at these restaurants is frequently far better. What's the difference? The attitude of the employees. Employees at these restaurants are generally happier at their workplace and feel a sense of personal fulfillment, and that is reflected in the quality of their product and service. Today's episode is all about building a career that not only sustains you, but also leaves a positive mark on the world. Today, we'll unravel the threads of reliability starting from the core, our attitudes. Reliability isn't just about systems and processes, it's about the individuals who drive them. In a world that's consistently evolving, finding a balance between personal fulfillment and making a difference can be a challenging journey. But fear not, because we've gathered insights, stories, and expert advice to guide you on the path to a sustainable career with a lasting impact. Today, we'll dive into the crucial aspects of maintaining well-being on this journey, how to sidestep the notorious burnout, and perhaps more importantly, how to fuel and maintain your motivation. Because let's face it, the road to creating a meaningful impact can be demanding, and it's essential to navigate it with resilience and purpose. Join me for a conversation with Rick Colson. Rick recently retired from a 34-year career at Intel, most recently as a senior fellow in the Intel Optane Group. Rick is a passionate advocate for career sustainability and for servant leadership. Rick was awarded the Intel Achievement Award four times for his team's work on storage subsystems and SSD technology. And he holds more than 90 patents. Rick received his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and computer science from the University of Colorado and his master's degree in electrical engineering from Stanford. He is currently a board member at CoServe International, a nonprofit dedicated to teaching servant leadership around the world. With CoServe, he has been to Kazakhstan eight times. He's on the advisory board of Vooks, a company which produces award-winning books that are loved by parents and educators alike. And he's part of an additional stealth mode startup. Sounds mysterious. I'll have to ask him about that. He enjoys mentoring and coaching. And today, he's my guest on the Reliability Matters podcast. Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Rick Colson, thanks for being my guest today. Yeah, my pleasure. 
I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's uh, it's not as technical as we normally uh, fall into. We normally dive down many rabbit holes. Uh, yeah. But I think it's extremely important because I think reliability is a mindset. And the quality of one's mindset will definitely have an impact on reliability and everything else uh, that yeah, yeah. goes on. And it's not just, not just uh, devices and uh, systems that can fail, but people can fail. Exactly. Right? When get, people get, uh, fail, yeah. Yeah. Become when people unreliable. fail, everything fails. And, yeah. and we've all been there. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes it just takes one. It's one cog in the wheel that's not turning properly. Yeah. And, yeah. and there we go. Um, you were quite the accomplished engineer at Intel with four um, achievement awards and 90 patents to your name. That's a legacy. Um, uh, do you attribute any of these accomplishments to um, your passion for building a sustainable career with a sustainable impact? And, and in other words, do you think you would have been as accomplished as you were if it weren't for your positive outlook? Uh yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think I would. Be, uh, the reason is because uh, about middle of my career, um, I had my own sustainability crisis. I, I burnt out and uh, described that uh, a little bit later. But um, I got to the point where I uh, had a personal crisis and I had to work through it. Uh, and it wasn't even clear whether or not I'd be able to continue in my career at all at the time. I had to take like a medical leave of absence and things like that. So um, I really don't think I probably would be working at Intel and maybe not high tech even um, if I hadn't uh, worked through some of these issues. And uh, the second thing is I think I don't think I would have uh, some of the sustainability practices I think gave me more energy and creativity and ability to influence people in a way that um, enabled a lot of these cool accomplishments like the, like the invention of the performance-oriented SSD and, and uh, things like that. So, um, yeah, and the second thing is, the, you know, those 90 patents, uh, very few of them, they're me individually. It's a team, and the team around me, I think uh, a lot of reasons why that team was so good, I think, is because we mutually practiced uh, sustainable practices and uh, and uh so, yeah, I think in many ways, I wouldn't have been able to even last that long, but certainly not accomplish the same things if I didn't develop these practices. Yeah, excellent. Um, before we get too, too much farther, there's yeah. a burning question in my mind. Okay. Uh, stealth mode startup. Okay. That yeah. was on your bio. <laughs> that sounds extremely yeah. mis mysterious. So. As long as you don't have to kill me or my audience for yeah, telling yeah, us, yeah, yeah, what can I say uh, about what that? is a stealth mode startup? It's a startup that um, has the money it needs and has has what it needs and doesn't need to go around advertising itself. Um, and so I'm 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 on an advisory board of, of a particular startup in, that is in that situation, and uh, it's been going for some time. But they, but they don't want to uh, publicly talking about them. Right. would be a distraction rather than a help because because thing, the things they need at the moment are in place. You know, so, I, I um, am honored and privileged to work with some universities, um, some Ivy League universities, where I go in every year and I speak. I'll be going there early January. Mm -hmm. they're in, it's Dartmouth College, and they're, they're in New Hampshire. 
which is January, New Hampshire. I don't know. <laughs> they don't. They don't drive. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I love going there, and I speak about entrepreneurship to the students. Mm-hmm. And these are graduating yeah. engineers, and you know, many of them will start their own businesses, and 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 uh, so I, I speak about my journey as an entrepreneur. And yep. you know, basically, it's a it's not a list of what to do; it's a list of what not to do. It's every mistake yeah. I've ever made, <laughs> and more importantly, what yep. I've learned from it. Uh, but I, I'm also invited every year to participate. Uh, as a judge in kind of a fast pitch contest. These students mm-hmm. are part of an uh, innovations and entrepreneurial program yeah. within the engineering school, the Thayer School of Engineering at Dartmouth. And they either create a real company, many of them have created real companies and uh, along their uh, educational line, and some make up a company, um, but they, they do a, a pitch. They they uh, show pro forma uh, financials. They, you know, they... they it's yeah. basically a 15-minute high-rise elevator pitch. Yeah. And and I get to be the judge, one of the judges. And one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, uh, when I started my company, my goal was to build a product. I had this passion for a particular type of product, and I, I just wanted to share it with the world. And that was my goal, to build the company to sell the product. Yeah. And a lot of young people these days, a lot of companies in general these days, their goal is to exit out after a few years and mm. build it, take it public, cash in, and leave. And you know, yep. they're talking, uh, a lot of their um, presentation is about seed rounds and financing and venture capital influx of cash and all this stuff. And, and now I started my business 32 years ago when I was in my very early 30s and you know I never knew about VCs I didn't know about seed rounds if someone said seed rounds I assume they were talking about farming you know I, I had no idea <laughs> and um, you know I just wanted to sell a product and I was naive um, which was probably good um, but at the time but um, uh, the younger people talking about starting companies now it's it's really all about cashing in and making the money and less about the actual product and how that product can change the world yeah, in, yeah, in some way, yeah. impact the world in some way, which I find a little disappointing, although it's reality, right? We yeah. all want to make money. Um, I do want to change the world, but I want to change the world with some cash in my pocket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, it seems like in, in a lot of cases, the emphasis is on the final result, not on the journey. And mm-hmm. and I find that a little disappointing, although that, that's the old man speaking in me. So this stealth yeah. mode startup sounds like they are more interested in whatever they are doing as a yes. product or a service, as opposed to um, calling attention to themselves for the purpose of gaining publicity, for the purpose of gaining investment. And it, seems, it sounds like they did it right. They got their... Their money situation sorted first, and now they're just staying quiet under the radar. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm more like you. I'm, I'm, I'm about the. Uh, uh, well, I, obviously, you need to make money, and that's an important factor. But um, I wanted to develop a product that would change things, and uh, uh, and this company wants to, definitely has a vision for changing things and. Uh, but it comes down to values, you know, you're, that's one of the things that I think as we talk about career sustainability, I'm going to talk a lot about values and, um, it, what is work about? Is it about 
just making money or is it more than that? Is it, is it the process, the creativity, fun? Um, what, what's the end goal? And, and is it, if it's just money, then you would behave one way. If it's more things than that, then it has to include money. But, um, is money one of many things or, or several things, or is it the main thing? Yeah, I think money is is not the goal or shouldn't be the goal. Money could be the outcome, um, and and money is required. You can't, you know, yeah. if your version of changing the world is to introduce a product, you need to make money yeah, or your product's you never going to get out. So, yep, that's but, right. Um, but, I, but I do think that there has to be, at the very least, an equal emphasis on the product and the journey and the learning and and you know, all that. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise you've just got a bunch of goals and, 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 and the culture, know. the culture that, you know, Absolutely. the place that you create, well, I, I have never started a company personally. Uh, I've started, uh, efforts within a big company, but what kind of culture do you want to have in that? Uh, uh, you know, who, who wants to create a product while you're miserable? You know, the, right. the, hopefully the creation and the doing the product is fun. It's, uh, and that's been my experience is, is when you're trying to come out with something that people haven't done before, you know, there's all sorts of ups and downs, but it's fun. Uh, yeah. It's enjoyable, fulfilling. Absolutely. I, I am fortunate that I was born a very optimistic person. Uh, <laughs> it's very, very rare that I have a down day. Uh, it happens, but it's very rare. In fact, it happens so rarely that when it does happen, my wife, gets very concerned because she's not <laughs> she's not used to seeing me down but when i am down if, if there's something really bothering me or worrying me um i can't create and i'm a i'm a very yeah. creative person and yeah. and i my ability to create is stifled you know until i yep. work out that situation much like yep, yep. your experience uh, where you took a leave of absence i mean you almost you have to fix yourself before you can that, that's right fix anything that's else. right can you share uh, your perspective on what defines a sustainable career with sustainable Yeah, impact? if we're going to talk about it, it's really important to define what yeah, we're Yeah, let's about define those how, terms. How I define it. Exactly. And, and, and to me, a sustainable career, and uh, at first when I was giving a talk like this, I, I uh, or talking about career, sometimes it'd be a standalone like presentation to a group or something like that, sometimes a conversation. I just called it sustainable careers. And I realized that's not what I meant at all. Uh, I meant maximizing your input while being sustainable at maximizing your, your impact while being sustainable. I, I don't want to. So, so the first thing to me, a sustainable career is one where you do excellent work and the sustainable, the next part of that is for as long as you want your career to last. Um, you don't burn out, you don't get overcome with regrets. Um, so, uh, a, a, uh, a career where you can do excellent work or as long as you want to, you don't burn out, you don't die, you don't, um, uh, uh, lose your abilities to do that, uh, through lots of different things that can happen. Um, the second thing I'd say is it's something that, um, is consistent with your values. It, as you said, if, if you value creating a new product and a culture, uh, that, um, like in my my world, I'd say I want to create a culture of servant leadership in a, in something uh, an organization that I would be involved in creating. Um, you you don't a sustainable career is not going to be one where you're doing something 
spending a lot of time. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes, you know, uh, there are reorgs and stuff like that where you get put in something that, that for a period of time that isn't what you would like. But over the long haul, if you're miserable and the values of your management and of the company are different than yours, uh, it's substantially different. There's always, it's a Venn diagram. You know, you have values, the company has values, your boss has values. Uh, and hopefully there's a good intersection in, in the middle. Because if there's not, and you're you're going to work every day and, and you say, you know, the way this company treats people is not aligned with how I would want to treat people. The way this company treats customers not aligned, uh, uh, the ethics of the company are not aligned with how I feel. I think that leads to uh, this feel, uh, you know, that makes you feel bad. I mean, <laughs> that, I think over the long term, that that's one of the things that that weighs on you and causes burnout. And some, I mean, one of the things that can cause burnout. It's not what caused me to burn out so much, but um, uh, it's one of those things. Uh, and then I also think a sustainable career is one that has to do with your circumstances. You know, if you're, if if you um, and who you are. Like I'm an introvert. I'm a, I'm a kind of a typical engineer kind of guy. Uh, it, it would not be a good thing for me to be, you know, a director of sales, for instance, for a company, because that's just not who I am. Even if it were a promotion, it's not who I am. And I would burn out and I would, uh, and it's not it, it, even some things like I, I couldn't be a good salesperson, but even if something that I could do well, but took so much energy from me to do right. it well, that it wasn't really in my um, you know, strength zone, uh, that, that would cause burnout, I think. Yeah. So. Uh, define, I know servant leadership is important to you. Um, I read it when I was researching you. I've I yeah. seen that term many times. Um, from your point of view, what? how do you describe servant leadership? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's, there, there's a, the first thing I want to say is I think it means to me, and, and there's, there's a different flavors of servant leadership. And, and actually most people who I'd say are servant leaders don't even know the term servant leadership. They just right. care about people and they want the people they're working with or working for them to succeed. And they don't view people as units of productivity that are here to mm -hmm. serve just me. You know, oh, you work for me. Now everything about you is to make me look good. You know, that, right. that would, uh, Kazakhstan, one of the places that I've gone a lot to, to, uh, teach servant leadership, you know, it's a former Soviet Republic, right? And the Soviet, you know, it's kind of the, they call it command and control style leadership, you know, we'll give you a, a command and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure it's painful for you not to, uh, to do that. And, uh, I believe that that's not the best way to get people to be, uh, it, it, um, uh, in especially the kind of jobs we're talking about, professional jobs in a in a uh, high tech industry, uh, that's not the way to motivate and get people to do their best work. Uh, right. And, and even if it were, it's not not what I want to do. I, I you know if there was research, the research does not say this, but if there was research that said the best way you can get long term results is just to ride people like mad, uh, and uh, and take all the glory for yourself and make sure all the blame goes to the people who work for you and uh, all that, uh, I still wouldn't want to do it because that's not who I want to be. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, let me say one thing about uh, what crystallized servant leadership for me 
was in Kazakhstan. I was teaching a class and as part of this class, there was an offer for me and the co-instructor to meet with each student in the class for a, a one-on-one meeting. And they could bring somebody they wanted to, if they wanted to, like they could bring an employee, somebody they were managing or leading, or they could bring their boss. The guy chose to bring his boss and he, we're in this lobby of this hotel and, uh, this guy comes in, he says, I'll tell you what my philosophy of leadership is. People are oranges. You squeeze them and juice comes out. And eventually that, you know, the, it goes to a trickle. Then you got to squeeze a lot harder. Right. And a more, more flow of juice. And then it trickles up. And finally, you squeeze as hard as you possibly can. Some juice comes out and then dries up. And then you toss the orange. That's why philosophy of leadership. And I thought that is the opposite of what I want to be. Uh, 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 it, it, first of all, it's a very short-term perspective. Sure. It's not growing people. How did I, you know, I, he, he said, okay, I have 90 patents. Well, most of that's team accomplishment. Uh, you know, our team kind of came out with the first performance-oriented practical SSD and NAND SSD. Uh, uh, that was a team accomplishment. Uh, how, how did we have such a great team? Well, the team stayed together for a long time. The core of the team, everyone was with this group for 10 plus years. You know, there's some disadvantages to that too, but there's some real advantages of, of having people want to work together, know each other, trust each other. And I think that came from not treating each other like oranges. Yeah. I look at the military as an example of, you know, command and control. And yeah, I, I, I'm hypothesizing this fact. I, Sometimes I tend to make up facts and believe them, uh, but I think it's true. Um, you know, the majority of the people who serve in the military serve for four years or eight years or whatever, and then they're out. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then there are some, probably a smaller percentage that are quote unquote lifers, um, and who kind of dig that environment, uh, or maybe they're the ones in command and and providing control. But um, you know, the military. It's not too often in your job where you're told to go up a hill while people are shooting at you and capture a flag, right? So yeah. maybe command and control is absolutely required in that environment. Um, but the the point is, in that environment, they leave as squeezed oranges, right? There, there's yeah. nothing left to give, and um, perhaps it's it's the only way to do it. Uh, but I, but I think that kind of proves your point that if you want people in for the long haul or longer haul, yeah, who really enjoy what they're doing and, and want to continue doing it, um, then a, a different approach is, is, uh, definitely. Yeah, needed. definitely. And even in the military, I, in reading some books about servant leadership, there are some examples of military leaders who, who, um, there's still the command and the command aspect of it and very hierarchical, but even the lowest level private somehow looks up to this leader something about, you know, that they say things like, uh, I would follow this guy anywhere into, right. you know, because he, because it's following that guy. He's not saying you guys go up that hill while I right. sit back and watch with binoculars. It's like, right. I'm leading you up the hill. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself kind of thing. Uh, so I think there are some good servant leadership examples, but I think one of the, there's, there's a guy named Robert Greenleaf was one of the modern, um, uh, revivalists, I guess, for servant leadership. I think it's kind of an ancient thing too, but uh, he, he had this thing called the test of servant leadership. Do the people you lead, do they become more autonomous? Do they become more filled? Are they more successful? 
because of you? Uh, and are they more likely to help other people to be the same? Uh, I'm not quoting it exactly, but you get the gist of it. That it, what's servant leadership? If you help people to become more, you know, help them in their career while you're achieving a goal. Obviously, in a company, you're about achieving the company's goals. You have to be. Uh, but while you're doing that, are you, you know, crushing oranges or are you helping people to develop? And one of the things I'm most proud of in my career is that I personally saw four people who worked for me become Intel fellows. And, uh, okay. That, that to me says I was helping them develop their careers. Um, sure. uh, and, uh, so I, that's an important metric to me. How do I help? Uh, what, if, what's the evidence that I'm a servant leader? Well, if people are, uh, thriving in their career, um, that's, that's the people I lead or the people I mentor or whatever. That's kind of a test that I, I use this. Are they thriving? I'd say not just in their career, in their whole life, because I think a career, one of the things that I think is important to sustainability is realizing life does not equal career. Uh, well, career is a big part of life, an important part of life. I don't diminish it at all, but it's not equal to the meaning of life. Uh, yeah. And so uh, having some perspective on that is good. Yeah, it's funny because we, you know, we talk about sustainability. And when, when I hear the term sustainability, and I'm assuming when many hear the term sustainability, it's about sustaining something else, sustaining the yeah. world, sustaining the planet, yeah. sustaining yeah. in an environmental context. Um, it's not often I hear about sustainability in terms of oneself, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and I think it's important because, you know, you can't take care of others unless you take care of yourself. And, yep. you know, get your house in order, get yourself in order so that you yep. can be effective. And um, so in this context today, in this episode, when we talk about sustainability, I'm assuming that a lot of that is sustainability in your career, in your personal life, in your attitude, and in, in all of that, yep. right? I yep. mean, we're not talking yes. about planting trees and, and you know, That's right. That's, this, is about, this is about sustaining yourself uh, yeah. uh, and pra mental practices, physical practices, um, uh, uh, things you do or uh, decisions you make to make sure you're sustainable. You know, that, that 10 years from now, I, I mean, I, I'm retired now, but when I, when I had my career sustainability crisis, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't clear I was going to last another couple of decades. Mm. Um, uh, and so for me, it's about lasting decades, right? I mean, what's a typical, I mean, somebody graduates, starts to work, that's, you know, 40 plus years. Uh, you know, so we're, we're not, one of the things that, uh, one of the attitudes I think is important to sustainability is realizing this is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's not, you, you, if, if a 40 year career, it, uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's like think of a, a marathon, you know, do, do the people who win mar the objective is to be the fastest over the whole, whole length of the marathon, not to be right. fastest in the first mile. And I think it's the same thing with the career. You want your career to be, uh, however you want to measure it, uh, success, uh, titles, um, uh, uh, changing the world, uh, the things that are important to you over decades, not over, uh, the next year, you know, and, and right. uh, yeah. So yeah, not a flash in the pan. What inspired you to pursue a focus on sustainability and how yeah. has your journey evolved over time? Yeah. Well, 
I first, uh, th that's a really good question. And I, 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 well, in the middle of my career, 20 some years ago, I had a real crisis. All of a sudden I started having panic attacks. Um, I had just been named an Intel fellow, uh, and that was a little bit uh, of a surprise to me. Uh, uh, something I wanted, but it's a little bit of a surprise to me. But I felt like, wow, that's uh, do I measure up to that? And a number of things. Anyway, it turns out that shortly after that, I started having panic attacks, and uh, uh, I didn't even know what a panic attack was to to, to start with. Uh, but I was on a business trip one one. Uh, one day in that evening, I was in a hotel and I started to feel the, this chest tightness I was feeling. And it's like, wow, there's something really wrong with me. I thought it might be having a heart attack and I'm in some hotel. And I thought, well, if I am, what do I do? Do I call the front desk? Whatever. What, what do I do? And I was really worried. And, you know, it, it, I, I didn't do anything and it, it didn't get worse. But the next morning, I was just tired and lethargic and, um, went to the gym because usually that gave me some energy and that didn't do anything. I was super, I was like super tired that night. Same thing happened again. And that time I decided to call the doctor and, uh, they said, well, come into the hospital right now, you know, and don't drive. And, you know, that kind of freaked me out. But, uh, the result was they said, well, you're having a panic attack. Um, and, and, uh, you know, you think you're going to die. You think you, people think they have that panic. I think they're having a heart attack or brain tumor or their face goes numb or it, it, it it's, it's crazy. Um, it's quite and, physiological. I mean, the, oh, yeah, the yeah, symptoms are real, right? Well, yeah. One time my heart was going about 130, 140 beats a minute in a meeting at work. And it was a meeting where it was mostly a presentation to an audience. I was just a member of the audience and my heart's going bam, 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 bam. And I thought I should get up and I should walk over to the front to the to the security entrance to the building because when I keel over and die, they'll know what to do. <laughs> so wow. it, yes, very real. You know, you feel like you can't breathe. You feel like you're choking. Uh, it, it's 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 really nasty. Uh, and this was happening it, once it started happening. It was saying to me several times a week. And after it happened during the day, I was kind of useless for the rest of the day. So. I, I started to pursue a number of professionals that, um, uh, you know, uh, went to a psychiatrist, went to a counselor, went to a stress nurse, uh, that did biofeedback, uh, and showed, uh, it was really interesting. Uh, uh, for instance, this nurse, um, did a thing like a lie detector, you know, kind of set up your respiration, your, your, uh, uh, skin temperature, how much sweat there is, all that kind of stuff, heart rate. And, uh, uh, then ask me some questions about work, you know, and Hey, describe someone you feel, uh, that, that, that gives you a hard time at work. And, you know, I didn't have to be happening. All I had to do was be describing it. And she turned this monitor around then and shows, well, see your heart rate, all your stress indicators are just going up, up and up and up. And then she said, before she showed me that, she said, now relax. And okay, I relaxed. And then she asked me some more. And it turned out that uh, what she said was, I didn't have the ability to to ramp that down quickly. Most mm -hmm. of you said that that's normal to ramp up and get stressed when you talk about a stressful situation. But most people then can have practices by which they can calm themselves. And I was missing that. And so right. I was kind of plateauing and just ratcheting up. And so it was mostly about stress for me, uh, but it was really not clear what the, what the reason was. And so I wrote 
uh, notes to myself, sort of. And I, I, don't know, I was used to thinking almost in PowerPoint. So I, I had a little PowerPoint presentation to myself about the stress of a big meeting, the stress of this, the stress of that, and how I think about it, how I want to think about it. And I started, uh, so I, I, good news, I, uh, through the help of these professionals, and, um, and I'm not exactly sure all the reasons I was having panic attacks, but the combination of all the things that I tried worked, and I haven't had panic attacks since, thankfully. But um, out of that, somebody asked me to give a, a talk at work about stress and, and managing stress and anxiety at work. And I did that for, and that was, people really resonated to that. Uh, however, it really bothered me that that felt really defensive. It felt like, okay, managing stress, all this stuff's happening to me. I'm kind of a victim. I, I, I want to develop techniques to deal with that. And I thought, no, I really want to talk about it more positively. How do you sustain yourself? Mm-hmm. S- stress management is part of that, but the whole big picture um, which then led me to think about things, mental attitudes, um, values, um, physical things like exercise, even calendar things like, do I schedule eight meetings back to back with no time in between? So if, if something comes up, I, there's no way I have any time to deal with it. Um, if I'm going to an appointment and I get in the car, do I optimize like an engineer that says, it takes 14 minutes to get there. So I'm going to leave 14 minutes in advance and then, you know, something, you know, a train goes across the track or something, right. and then you're going to be late, all those kind of stressful things. Sure. Anyway, so out of that, it evolved into, out of thinking about stress and anxiety and panic attacks, it evolved into career sustainability. And I started talking about that, and it, it just motivated me the number of people who come up and say, wow, that's really helpful. And so it kind of became a thing for me, and I probably at Intel, I gave 50, 50, talks about career sustainability around the world and other places. And it's become something I really enjoy doing because usually uh, it's been tough since uh, COVID started. I haven't had much of a live audience to reflect (laughs) reflect back, but usually people tell me that it's really helpful and it's been really helpful to me. So that's why I do it. Uh, Speaking of helpful, what what are the attitudes and mindsets that you find to be most helpful. Um, oh yeah, that's when, a... when things are when you feel that stress coming on, or you're working with a colleague that may may not yeah. share your commitment to sustainability. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll 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 get around to answering exactly the question you asked, but uh, the uh, uh, about the colleague. But the first thing for me, and the thing that I think was one of the most contributing factors to having panic attacks was this thing I would do. I call it compositing. I had a mental image of all my, when I became a fellow, there were, I don't know, 15, 17 fellows at Intel in the history of the company even. So it's like, there are a lot more now and the company's a lot bigger and they're senior fellows now and all that. But then it was, it was a really big deal to me. And I would look around and say, well, there's one fellow and he this was this was the, these all true. This guy had been on the Tonight Show back a long time ago. Uh, uh, he'd been on the Tonight Show explaining supercomputers for entertainment on national television. He was that entertaining and that good a communicator. I think I should be I should be able to communicate as well as that guy. And there's another guy who wasn't so um, you know uh, wasn't on TV or anything, but 
he had the ability to ask questions, really insightful questions. And instead of arguing with somebody, he would just ask questions. And he would ask such good questions, and they were in such a gentle way of having people's arguments that were false fall apart. He, he could just do that. He, he was so good at just asking questions. And, and either somebody's concept would hold up or it wouldn't. But he never had to go to, I think that's a dumb idea. He right. just... Uh, he just asked questions and tell and tell people would basically is almost like Perry Mason where people would confess. They go, "Oh yeah, this is a bad idea," or "No, I don't think it's going to work." <laughs> he just uh, handed them so, the rope, you know, yeah, for them yeah, to yeah. swing yeah. to another vine yeah. or hang themselves. Yeah. One of the two. Yes. Well, well, he was really good at that, and it was a really a, a kind way, I think, of maintaining excellence in the organization and and, and not letting ideas that weren't solid go forward, but just to asking questions. Another guy was like the world expert on transistors, the world's expert. I, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure there are several world experts, but he was one of them for sure. Knew everything there was to know. Another guy is like so broad. He knows everything from semiconductors to application level software, the whole stack of everything. He knows a lot about all of it. Not, not the deepest in everything, but knows the whole thing. So I'm thinking I should be a good communicator like this guy on his night show. I should be um, good at asking questions like this other guy. I should be um, uh, a world-class expert in my domain like this other guy. And I should be as wide as this other person. And I had a few more things too, but I was compositing that into this composite of what a fellow should be, you know, should, which nobody's all that. If you right. take, I was also doing another context with friends. I would, you know, what, where are all their best attributes? I combine all those and say, well, that's the standard the best of all these. If you compare yourself to the best of a composite image of the best of peers, you know, how do you think that's going to come out? <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> you, 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 you feel, you know, like I'm a failure. Well, no, I'm not all those things, but I am something. And those guys probably sit around at night too, thinking about, well, I wish I were something that Rick was, you know, and right. I, I think for me, Actually, I, I find it took me a while to figure it out. I had this combination of technical and management leadership skills that some of those guys didn't have. Um, okay, so I'm unique. They're unique. I can just, Intel made me a fellow based on who I am, not trying to match up to the composite best of my peers. So that was one of them, not comparing to the composite best of peers, because when you do, you you, you fall short. And sure. I'm the kind of guy who, it, 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 uh, if I feel like I'm falling short, I feel bad about it. So I need to be really careful about what I'm trying to measure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was, that's one. I already mentioned another one. Another attitude is really important. It's, it's like your career is a marathon, not a sprint. It's okay if you don't get promoted this year. You know, it, 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 it's okay. If, if um, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I just started Intel like, uh, last September, and uh, I feel like none of the senior management knows who I am. It's like, that's okay. <laughs> That'll come with time. Uh, uh, it's 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 a marathon, uh, not a sprint. Um, and uh, another thing is just being aware of false expectations I was placing on myself. Mm. Um, I can't solve all of Intel's problems personally. You know, when I work for Intel. Uh, I can't read all of my, uh, people can send me more email that I can deal with. 
You know, I can't take anything, everything that people send me serious. Well, somebody sent me this presentation, so I should read it. Well, it's an unrealistic expectation sure. to do all that. So um, I had to, for me personally, figure out, okay, there are a lot of expectations you can have. My share, I, Intel had 100,000 employees roughly. Uh, I, I'm a senior person, so I need to take a lot more than my share. But uh, so not 100,000, but let's say a thousand of Intel's problems I need to be concerned about. <laughs> right. <laughs> or maybe less. Uh, but I don't need to, I, I, I can address certain things and deal with them and do a good job of them, but not everything. So the, yeah, here's the problem. Can I, is that something I need to engage on and deal with? No. Yeah. So I, those, are, the, those are some examples. In the early days of my public speaking career, um, I suffered pretty greatly for a short time anyway, f with imposter syndrome. Yes, I, I was going to just say I, that. I, I didn't, that oh, was going to be my next, next point. We, you know, I, I'm like, I do not belong here. I am, you know, when I was a kid, my parents got me the highlight magazines, you know, for really? kids. And yeah. every issue had one particular section in it about, you know, what, what object in this picture doesn't belong. And it would show, hey. for example, a kitchen. And in the kitchen, there'd be a stove, an oven, a mixer, a blender, um, and a chainsaw. It's like, okay, you know, <laughs> chainsaw doesn't belong. Yeah. I was the chainsaw, so I thought. And part of what set me up for failure, at least um, psychologically, was I kept comparing myself to the other speakers. I'm like, I want to be more like him or her. And Yeah, compositing, and, right? Yes, yeah. ex exactly to your point, your earlier point. And I realized at some point, uh, fortunately, it, it only took a few speaking gigs to kind of realize it, like, A, I'm never going to be like them. They're far more educated in their particular field of expertise than I yep. am. And, and they have their voice. And what I, what I learned, where I learned to take inspiration was not to be like them, but to, it's a, a specifically, but to be like them and find my voice. Yes, and, exactly. And once I got comfortable with my voice and I was, absolutely convinced that the entire audience was filled with people who were going to out me as an imposter, right? And, yeah. and um, of course, that didn't happen. I, I was sweating bullets. Talk about, I don't think it was a physical panic attack, but I had the cold sweats. I had, my heart was racing when we got closer to the Q&A because I thought, okay, I'm in control as long as I'm talking and I have my yeah. slides set up. Once it gets to Q&A, that's where people will out me. And it never happened. You know, yeah. most people root for your success. I mean, there are some yes. sociopaths yeah. out there that won't, but, but it never happened. And then I started gaining confidence. Once I realized that I'm not going to be judged or at least overtly judged, um, I started discovering my own voice, whatever that yes. was. It, and I started yes. getting and, comfortable and, and, with that. I think that's the thing, discovering your own voice, your own strengths, what those things are. Uh, because I, I have that, uh, you know, imposter syndrome, uh, thoughts, um, and, you know, I think the, some of the information I've read said that maybe 70% of high performers, uh, feel that way at some point in their career that they're, if people only knew how little I knew, but right. I was supposed to be an Intel fellow, Intel senior fellow, if people only knew how little I knew technically right. and how limited I was that, that they would think it's a joke. You know, yeah. I thought it was a joke and, yeah. and. Um, I was sitting around it at Intel. Intel had had the practice of bringing together vice presidents and fellows uh, every quarter or two 
for a meeting and at lunch or sitting around and the conversation around me was about being imposters. And uh, the, a woman who gave me permission to share the story said she, she had become recently become a vice president and, and she was just freaked out and had this imposter syndrome badly. And she went to a, um, I don't know, it was a counselor or a psychiatrist or something. And they said, okay, let me save you at first sessions. Let me save you a lot of time and money. Um, <laughs> Intel wouldn't have made you a vice president unless they already knew you could do it. Right. Um, and they already felt that you had the skills. You're not an imposter. You're not everything everybody else is, but you are something that has that value. Yeah. They saw something in her that she could not see in herself. Yeah. But right. it, it struck me how common that feeling is yeah. among, you know, you're thinking, oh, vice president. So, that, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of times they project a lot of confidence, but inside, the, you know, that they struggle with that too. So how do you strike a balance? You know, companies are in business to make money, ship product, yeah. do it well. How do you strike a balance? It's not all rainbows and unicorns in a, in a company yes. setting. So yes. how is that balance struck between pursuing your passion for sustainability and meeting the practical demands uh, that, yes. uh, of your career? Yes. Well, first of all, I'm not sure I completely buy into the assertion that it's a balance. Uh, hmm. uh, and I'll, I'll get into that. I, it is certainly in some in some uh, cases, but uh, I want to say in many cases, I, it, for me, defining sustainability is, is as sustainable career as being able to do excellent work for the longest time. That's good for a company too. Um, it's not good for the company for you to burn out, right? I mean, if 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 all the senior talent and experienced talent and company burns out how is that good for the company even now you know there are things like let's say there's um uh, a uh, well let me let me say more about that uh because uh i started focusing on being sustainable and i believe sustainability uh leads to more creativity more abilities to influence people and, and you know there obviously work has a lot of emotion to it there are successes and failures and you're trying to influence people sometimes in arguments and um there's a article uh in the in the harvard business review the article is called long hours backfire for companies and employees and it's written by i think i think it was the other way around but written by someone named uh, sarah green carmichael it's about five years ago and this article starts off with, does your job require um, creativity, judgment, uh, ability to influence people, control of your emotions, being able to, you know, understand where somebody's coming from? And, you know, it's a rhetorical question. For most professional jobs, the answer is yes. Sure. So now, do, that, do, do you do that best when you're refreshed or when you're dead tired? That's how the article started off. And it went on to show data about um, productivity as a function of, of long hours. Now, long hours is different for every person because uh, we have different makeups. Uh, some people, you know, they, 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 they're productive for longer hours, others shorter hours. And it, it depends whether it's a habit or, or, you know, every once in a while. But everybody has this point where their productivity rolls off and goes uh, not just down, the, the, there's data in this article uh, that cited a bunch of research papers where productivity went negative. It would have been better if the person went home 
Why? Right. Because they're making mistakes that have to be fixed later on. Right. And uh, uh, the article ends with this wonderful quote. Well, it's not a quote. It's it's the the Arthur Arthur's speaking. She says, "In sum, the story of overwork and again overwork doesn't mean uh, you know forty point five hours a week or something like that. It, it means something different for different people. For some, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a bell curve." But in sum, the story of overwork is literally a story of diminishing returns. Keep overworking and you will work increasingly more stupidly on tasks that are increasingly meaningless. More and more stupidly on tasks that are increasingly meaningless. And you think about that. Who wants that to be true of them? Work increasingly stupidly on tasks that are increasingly meaningless. Um, and you know, there are two parts to that. More and more stupidly. That's what we've talked about. You make a lot of mistakes when you're tired. But the other thing you do when you're tired is you go to less meaningful things. You, 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 and some things are things you have to do anyway, so that's okay. But uh, people go to like stapling things and filing things and doing, but that's not when you're tired, it's not when you can do, uh, you know, think about the vision for your organization you know, for the next year. You can't do that when you're dead tired. So uh, the article makes the case for understanding where where your productivity is best and your style and do that. And that's the way it is. Sustainability isn't a matter of pulling back from things so that you're sustainable. It's, it's a matter of doing things in the right way so you can maximize it if you want to. Um, so it's not, so, so that's what I mean by it's maybe not always a trade-off. Maybe it's actually, I believe the sustainable person is actually able to accomplish the most for the company. But also importantly, this is where the trade-offs come in. I also think a sustainable career has to do with your values and your values. Let's say you, you have a young family. Well, you know, that may mean that you put some boundaries on how much time you're generally going to give to work. And so, yeah, you decide I'm going to do a little bit less than, than you would. But interestingly, uh, empirically, um, and I don't have data on this, just other, other than empirical observations of myself and some others, that people who have had clearly limiting circumstances, like um, a colleague told the story of uh, 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 a colleague who had some, I think maybe his wife had some some health issues. And so this guy was not going to be able to, to um, maximize every waking hour for his company. Uh, so he went to his boss and said, look, here's my situation. It means that I'm going to do the best I can, but I got to limit it to this much time. And the, uh, the, the boss of that guy was the guy that related this uh, story in, in his own retirement speech. And the guy said, I watched that guy for 20 years and how his career was impacted. He said, it wasn't. <laughs> he did just as well. You know, I'm, I'm sure sometimes it is. And I'm sure. sure actually sometimes your career may be delayed a little bit. Like as you, as you do a job more, you know, you get better and better at it with experience. And then you get promoted and then, it, and then you get, and at first the, the job of promote that you're promoted to is a really big thing more than, you know, everything you can handle. But then after you do it a while, well, that becomes easier and you get some more time and whatever. And then maybe you start accomplishing things so you can get promoted again or take on some bigger responsibilities because you're just become more efficient at the, at the other parts of, uh, of the job. Um, and so, I think what I encourage people to do to be sustainable is not push it. You know, wait until you actually are efficient uh, to 
to be thinking about being promoted. Don't like say, I'm going to work unsustainably this year. I'm going to work 70 hours a week this year. So I get promoted because the problem with that is you just gotten promoted to a job where it takes 70 hours a week for you to do it at an acceptable right. level. Right and now in a few years, you'll be able to temper that down. But initially it's going to take you 70 hours a week just to do that job. So why not wait until it's something that fits in within your, your, your boundaries. So maybe it slows you down a little bit, maybe, but what if it does? It's, I, would you rather have a career where you're promoted as fast as you possibly could be, or you're promoted, but maybe, maybe a little bit slower timeline, maybe, but you're living it according to your values. You don't feel like you shortchanged your family. You don't feel like you, um, yeah, whatever your values are, you didn't compromise your values. And I think we have to be careful what we ask for. What we used to do at my company in the early days anyway, is, um, we would promote to the person's level of incompetency. Yes, and, <laughs> and and then all of a sudden they're not the star anymore, and they either burn out and quit, or we fire them. And yes, they were only guilty of doing a good job two levels ago, right? Yes, and just the fact that they're doing a really stellar job and they're excelling in a particular function is not necessarily. This is on the employer. Uh, yeah, not necessarily a key indicator that they would be really good in another function, right? Um, That's right. So I think the employer or you're to, good, yeah, too. It might be a matter of time. It could be a but, matter of time. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, we sometimes set people up for failure, and I think it's yep. also important on the employee side to really understand what that promotion entails and does it utilize their inherent gifts and strengths and and you know attributes yeah do you want to be promoted it, something you don't like yeah right what if you got promoted rick to um you know to, to you're doing such a good job with ssd technology we're going to put you in sales right yeah that you've already said you are not a salesman and and yeah. um that would have set you up for failure or yep. at least set you up to be very unhappy and a lot of times did. you know the way it works in tech companies is the promotion from you know technical expertise and you're doing a really good job, and you, you, you're our expert in this area. So why don't you manage the team that does this? Right. You and, may not be a manager. Uh, uh, you may not be a manager. You may be, but it's not that, you know, probably less than half the people who are good technically make good managers. I don't know what, you know, certainly it's not guaranteed. And that's where a lot of people experience that sort of incompetence, that they're not as skilled at being a manager as they were technically. Sure. We talked about burnout uh, as a as a consequence of yeah. maybe some bad decisions. Yeah, um, burnout is is a, a common concern. Obviously, we've yeah. all we've all experienced it, right? And yeah. uh, what strategies do you recommend for individuals to prevent burnout and maintain a long term uh, enduring passion for their work? Yeah, well, it's kind of a summary of every uh, of. Everything we've been talking yes. about, yeah. It's like that's probably better as a, a final question, right? Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a you know. Well, I'll, I'll leave it then. Well, if you want to leave it to the, the wrap up, but it is a summary of all we're talking about and the, the the things we have left to talk about. We you talked about uh, you, you kind of referenced the phrase you know boundaries. Um, sustainable yeah. careers often involve a strong sense of purpose, uh, but setting boundaries is also critical. Um, yeah. How do you establish that um, healthy work-life balance without compromising your career and without compromising your uh, personal life? Yeah. Well, 
you know, I, I earlier I said, well, it's not necessarily a compromise, but it often is. Um, uh, and when you talk about, you know, it's kind of a thing, you got to decide what's important to you by, by your values. You know, uh, yeah, uh, it may be if you're uh, a single young person who, uh, is really, uh, you, you, you have more ability and more energy, probably according to your values to, to, to give to a, a work situation. If you have, you know, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, probably less. Um, if, if your values include that, it's really important for me to be present, uh, with my family and be a part of raising them. So I think it's, it's, you got to think about like, I would say your worldview, um, and your values, what, and I never did this when I started my career. And I would think it's something that would be really good for everybody starting a career to do. And that is, what do I think about my career? Um, what's the place of it? Is it the number one priority in my life? Uh, I, I, maybe I don't like the word priority because a career is super important, but it's not my whole life. What are the other aspects of my life? Um, I have other interests. Maybe I volunteer in some organizations. Maybe I like to paint. Maybe uh, 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 I have hobbies that are important to me. Maybe I have family that I is important to me. Well, and what are my values in terms of, am I working for money? Like we talked about this to start with. Or am I working for money? Am I working to change the world? Am I working to create a culture that uh, is a good place to work and people thrive? Uh, some mixture, it's probably some mixture of all those things, but, but how much of each, uh, those are super important questions to ask yourself. Uh, and then, so when you ask those questions, then I'd say that gives me, when, when you think about your values, that gives me, uh, the basis for thinking about the things that, what do I have to budget that I'm talking about Rick now, myself, I have to budget time, uh, energy. Because I, I actually, the older you get, you probably know this, you run out of energy before time. <laughs> true. It, it's sad, but it's true. Uh, uh, time, energy, for me, is stress. What kinds of things cause stress for you? Either You have a budget. You know, you, If you give all your ability to deal with stress at work, then do you have anything left um, in other contexts uh, like home? Uh, uh, and uh, for me, another was travel. For me, I, 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 I enjoy traveling. We, my wife and I travel a lot for, uh, for uh, vacations and things like that. But business travel, you know, it takes something out of me that's different than just the number of hours spent working. You know, the, the, the sleeping in a hotel bed, okay, I sleep less well. The being on the airplane tires me out. You know, I'm being cramped. Uh, uh, some people, you know, do really well at... Uh, you know, working and for me, you know, now I get, I, I, I feel motion sickness, even in an airplane, you know, if I try and how much travel can I budget? Uh, right. So uh, all I'm trying to say is there are things you have to budget, decide how much you're going to give to your career, time, energy, ability to deal with stress, travel, maybe it's something else. You think about your values and try to say, now, how much of that do I have to give to my career at this point in life. It changes, you know, it, my kids are out of the house, so I, I have more ability now. Uh, uh, or I have young kids, I don't have that ability now, uh, uh, or less ability. 
but how much time, energy, stress, all those things can I put into this function of career? I kind of sure have a, like a funnel and then there's a function of <clears throat> something happens and then results come out like promotion, accomplishments, uh, 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 things like that. And one thing I, I think that's really key to setting these boundaries is to start with your values and set those things by the values and then uh, be happy with the result that comes out. If you're a little slower to get promoted, I think that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. the, opt- the other approach is to use this feedback loop and say, I don't like the amount of uh, promotion that's coming out the bottom or the amount of money that's coming out of the bottom of this function. And so I'm going to adjust the input. So I'm going to put in more time, more energy, more stress, and more travel to get a better result. But I just said you started off with what, according to your values, were the the right amount for you. And then if you adjust it according to a feedback loop, it means you're, by definition, outside of your values. If you said, according to my values, I have, on average, because you know work is a dynamic thing. You can't say... I've worked 50 hours this week, so I'm done. There might be a crisis. You have to you have to deal with it. But on average, you say, let's say you, I can give 50 hours a week to my job, my career. Um, and then, you, you know, you, you were disappointed that you didn't get promoted one year. So, so now I'm going to work 60. Well, right. you just decided that when you said 50, that that was the right uh, thing according to your values, maybe your family situation, maybe who you are. Um, you know, for me, like I actually am a very intense person for short periods of time. So it's like, I, I, I never worked more than like 45 hours a week because I was done. I ran out of energy. I ran out of everything, but I also got a lot done during that time. So that was sure. okay. Yeah, um, quality time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way I'm. other people are different. I've known people that are, you know, they work a lot more. And, and that works for them, but yet, but if, what I'm saying is don't use the feedback loop. I call it the feedback loop for the miserable because, and if I give a presentation, I have a picture of a ape that has a really bad look on his face because, because it takes you outside your values. Sure. If, if you use the feedback loop. So that's to me is a key to, it's kind of hard to describe, but a key to maintaining the right thing is deciding first and then accepting the output rather than. A feedback loop and you know okay a feedback it could be the other it, you consider a feedback loop when you consider all life and say actually i have more to give i could uh, maybe uh or times have changed no and now now i my kids have gone to college now i can do something different but i really think it, it'd be very careful about exceeding what you think is the right amount uh, according to your values and the next thing i'd say is only you can maintain those boundaries you're, if you're a manager and you have eight, let's say, professionals working for you, you don't know their all their personal circumstances and their temp. You, you can't. You don't know how many hours a week they work. I mean, imagine if I kept track of all my employees and I knew, oh, so and so is working sixty-five hours a week, and somebody's that, that person works forty-one hours. That first of all, that'd be weird. But uh, secondly, there's no way to do that. Yeah, uh, and and it, it, you wouldn't want to do it. I can't keep track of. I don't know all my employees' values. I don't know all my employees' um, circumstances. I, I mean, as I get to know them, I, I know more of that. But uh, the only person who knows, uh, you, you know, yeah. if I if there's something that needs to be done, I say, hey, 
Steve, could you do this task? And it, it, we need it in a couple of days. You know, can you do that? And it, I don't know if, if when he says yes, I can't know whether yes, it fits in within his boundaries or not. I don't know. I I, I don't know right. what's going on with him. I know some, but not everything. So unfortunately, Steve's the only. I can't help. I can maybe help him sometimes, but in general, he's the only one who can say, "Hey, Rick, I can't do that." Somebody else should take that because I've got this other thing coming up and I, I can't do that. In, uh, uh, you're the only one who can who can keep those boundaries. And again, those boundaries, I think, in a professional setting have to be flexible in the sense of their averages, their, their things like that. They're not like, hey, it's 530 and we just got this the first chip back from the fab, the, the first stepping, first one's back. We were trying to debug it. I'm part of that team, and it's but it's five thirty. I got to go home. You know that that's great. We were working on this for three years, and here it's all coming together. And see ya, team. You, you can't do that. Right. Uh, it's a balance. Uh, it's definitely a it's balance. about. Many of us are often surrounded by negative people. I used to have yeah, a yeah. boss that it, it was said about him that he never gets ulcers. He gives ulcers. Right. It, <laughs> it was just a negative yeah. person. And yeah, yeah. My father was a difficult man, and I learned over the years, took a long time, I learned how to, you know, handle or, you know, work with my dad. Um, but he was kind of a semi-permanent angry man, at least in his earlier life. So I, I, I could handle that, but, but some people can't. So um, when we work with negative people, that can steal, it could rob our, our energy and it could rob our, or, or make our quest for fulfillment um, very difficult to say the least. Mm-hmm. Albert Einstein was quoted in saying, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Um, how, how do we find that opportunity within a negative environment? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, let's take the negative individual first and then the negative a- environment. Uh, uh, I think like if you have a manager that's, ex- that, and again, it depends on how it impacts you. Like you said, it wouldn't impact you that much me, it might really impact severely. Uh, I think it's time to look for a different manager then, um, because you can't control them. You, 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 yeah, it's unlikely you could be able to say, Hey, you know, you're bringing me down manager. You need to be more positive (laughs) and more encouraging. Uh, I, I think sometimes you have to decide, no, this is not the manager for me. I'm not going to thrive under this manager. And sometimes it's not even about whether that person's a good manager or not. They may be a good manager, but not a good manager for you. Um, uh, and then there's the negative individual that's part of a team. You have to deal with some of the time, but not all the time. You know, I think that's just part of life that you have to have to deal with that and uh, not let it uh, uh, get you. Sometimes, sometimes it's like there have been times that. It's not just, maybe it's not just pure negativity, but it's conflict between me and a person. And there are times when I, you know, they're, but they're an important person for me to work with. Before I give up on that, I want to go talk, you know, get to know them a little bit. I, there was one time I flew down to another site to, to meet a guy that I was having constant headbutting with. And we mutually decided we would get together. We'd spend part of the day um, just getting to know each other. And um, part of the day, and we went on a walk around a lake and part of the day kind of talking about our conflicts and it helped. I mean, it, I mean, it, it wasn't still the easiest guy for me to work with, but, uh, 
I knew a little bit about him and saw him as a person rather than an obstacle. And that helped. Um, and, and I made a few commitments to him. Like if I disagreed with him, I would tell him before I brought it up in a big forum. Um, and so, and which was only fair. And so, so we had some mutual commitments to each other and, uh, it got better. Uh, and finally a negative environment, you know, and I know this kind of the environment where, you know, especially in big companies, I don't know it in a small company, but in a big company, uh, you know, something bad economically, the company doesn't have the resources to do everything it wants to do. Projects canceled. People are discouraged. People mm. have projects that are canceled, but they don't have their new projects yet. And it's, it's, it's negative. And, um, that also, I think is part of life. I, th I think, I think things like that are going to happen. And, uh, uh, if it's persists forever or for a long period of time, yeah, I think it maybe it's time to look for a different environment. But, it, but it, here's where the opportunity you talked about is. That's an environment that needs leadership and it's a time to shine. You know, project is canceled. What should we do? Everybody's like, what should we do? We don't, no one's told us what to do. It's like, well, do you have an idea what we should do? Do you, do you have a, a roadmap of what we should do instead? Um, that actually, one of the big points in my career is was just that kind of thing. It wasn't at Intel, it was a previous company I worked at, but uh, a bunch of stuff got canceled. We had a vision of doing a certain kind of project. Product it was clear we weren't going to be able to do that. We had, uh, um, and everybody was discouraged. And then somebody had the idea. Somebody that worked with me had an idea. What if we did this? It'd be a lot easier. It's not as good, but a lot easier. We could pull this off. And we started think about it. And I, I kind of became a, a mouthpiece for that idea. It was somebody else's idea, but, um, and it was successful. And it, and suddenly once everybody sees a roadmap that they believe in, it gets a lot more positive usually, sure. but it's an opportunity for somebody to show some leadership and say, we should do this. Uh, you know, sometimes you won't have ideas, but sometimes you will say, so we, I think we should do this. And that's a positive uh, thing. So it's an opportunity to lead in a positive direction. I would, I would say, but also realize that sometimes there are things you can't overcome, you know, maybe may, may a combination of grumpy leaders and uh, negative people and economic circumstances and it's like and, and you're trying and you see people try and it's not getting better you know yeah. then, then maybe that's a signal to look for something else what's helped me when i've worked around negative people is you know there's a tendency a human nature tendency to think everything's about me and, yeah. and, and I, I realized as i got older it's not about me it's about them it's not personal yeah. And it's yeah. easy to take it personally, right? Yeah. Why isn't this person yeah. more supportive? Why is this boss a jerk? Why is this he almost angry? Yeah. And it's it's almost never about who they're displaying that attitude with. It's uh, that's something that lives in them, and we can't control them. Uh, my last question on this round, because okay. I do want to bring okay. it back. Um, at this moment in our industry, there are, are many young people entering uh, the electronic assembly industry. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what advice would you give to these younger people uh, to help them build their careers, stay fulfilled, and and hopefully make a difference in the world? Yeah. Well, I, I would say something I didn't do and people never talk about when I was uh, graduating from the university uh, is think about your values. What's important to you in life? Uh, think about, uh, you know, because I started my career just with the default of I want to I work on interesting stuff and promotion is good hire is better and you know yeah uh sometimes it is sometimes it isn't 
but you have to look at what's important to you, your values, all of life to understand what's, what's important. And then make decisions about your career according to those values. Keeping in mind that it's a marathon, <laughs> if it's, it, you know, it, it's like I, if you convert a marathon to kilometers, it's 40 something. And maybe that's the length of a normal career, 40 something years. It's mm. like uh, uh, a year in your career is like a kilometer in a marathon. That's, that's a small chunk and you've got a lot to go. You don't go as, as fast as you can because you can't sustain that. Uh, you, you think about. I want to have the most impact over the course of my career, not just the next year, because sometimes doing it for the next year can mess you up for the long haul. Um, so values, a marathon, um, and uh, it's a combination of what we're talking about with imposter syndrome and compositing. If you take the best features of your peers, especially at work that are highly competent professionals, line them up and make one image of what you should be out of that, you are going to look really bad in comparison to that. It's going to steal your joy. It's going to make you feel bad, but realize that you're, they're are unique. They have cool attributes and so do you. And, uh, so don't, don't be in that imposter syndrome comparison space. Yeah. I, 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 I totally agree. I think that is, that is great advice. Uh, Rick Colson, thank you so much for being my guest today. For my audience oh. who um, found uh, what Rick's uh, advice and, and experience um, uh, was to be helpful, um, I'll put Rick's contact information. And um, yeah. I'm, I did not ask Rick this ahead of time, uh, but I don't see him shaking his head no. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to share his contact information and and feel free to reach out to him uh, with any comments yeah. you have uh, regarding yeah. uh, his experience. Uh, if you are listening to this on your favorite podcast app, when it's safe, when you pull over the car, uh, you'll be able to look at the show notes and see Rick's contact information. And if you're watching this on YouTube, right down here, uh, it says show more. Click that show more button and you will also there see Rick's contact information. Uh, Rick Colson, thank you so much oh, for sharing you. your journey with me. I found it very inspiring and, and thanks for agreeing to share your journey and your advice with my audience. I really appreciate yeah. it. My, my pleasure. It's nice to actually interact rather than have a one-way yeah. uh, Zoom style presentation. Yeah, yeah. We don't I agree. see anybody. Yeah, yeah. there's actually so a real human on the other end. Yeah. yeah. Thank thank you. That's fun. Yeah, okay. I, my I pleasure. And I uh, if you want to do a part two sometime, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Well, that's another episode. Thanks for listening to or watching the Reliability Matters podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Reliability Matters on your favorite podcast app. If you're watching this podcast on the Reliability Matters YouTube channel, be sure to click the like, subscribe, and bell icons to be notified when new episodes are released. We release new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. A special thanks to Circuit Assembly Magazine's PCB Chat at pcbchat.com and Ascendo Reliability at reliability.fm for syndicating the show. Thanks also for your questions and episode suggestions. Please keep them coming. I'd love to hear from you. Send comments or episode suggestions to mike at mikeconrad.com. That's Conrad spelled with a K. Once again, thanks for listening or watching. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, and perhaps most importantly, keep doing it right. I'll see you again in two weeks.
Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.